If you would, grab your Bibles now and uh, turn to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 40. And uh, we're going to be covering a number of chapters here, like I said, but uh, we're not going to read through the, uh, the whole uh, description of the tabernacle, which occurs again here at the end of the book. But uh, we're just going to close and just going to recognize and read uh, from the end of Exodus chapter 40. So I'd ask you just to, to stand as we give attention to the reading of God's Word here. Exodus chapter 40, beginning in verse 34. It says, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. This is God's word. With me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We thank you that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness, that the man and woman may be equipped for every good work. Father, as many of us know, it's been, a, it's been a long week in our network. Uh, sin entered the camp in our, in our network in a, in a very specific way. But we also know that where sin abounds, your word says your grace abounds all the more. And Lord, that's where we live. We live in the grace of God because of what Christ Jesus has accomplished for us. His perfect life lived in our place. His death on the cross to make atonement and payment for our sin. His resurrection to give us a hope. Lord, we thank you for that. Everyone in here, our sin reaches farther, but your grace reaches even further. Lord, and that's where we rest. We rest in Romans 8.1. There is there now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So Lord, we pray for our sister church, Mountain View. We pray for the Crossing Church and all the network churches. And Lord, we pray for every Christian who walks the face of the earth. May they live, may they meditate, may they bathe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. For that is where our hope and our hope alone is. In your name we pray, amen. Um, before you guys are seated, pastor's kids, before you're seated, all right, um, Actually, Rich and I had a miscommunication. We're, we're actually going to read all five of the rest of the chapter. So turn your Bibles again to Exodus 35. And starting at verse 1, please follow along with me. And Moses assembled all the congregation of the people. That... I'm just kidding. Go ahead and have a seat. <laughs> yeah. I just thought of that just sitting there. So... Thus says the Lord. All right. Hey, well, welcome again. It's our joy to, to open up God's Word. This is the, the point of the message where we, we want to worship. We worship the Lord through hearing from Him personally, hearing from Him directly through His written Word. And as we, we, we get ready to end Exodus, this, is kinda, this book has kind of helped us track through COVID-19. We kind of started this, I think, right before COVID-19 hit, and it's been kind of been the book that we've been journeying through as we've all been journeying through 
this world as we know as COVID-19. Now, many of us, especially in the early months where we didn't know what this, this sickness was, we were, we were quarantined in our homes. And, and we probably did a lot of things different in our own homes. But there was also some things we probably did similar, alike. And one of those things is we probably watched or knocked out a couple TV shows and series. Go ahead and raise your hand if that was you and your family, right? Yeah, we probably, most of us did that. We knocked, at the Santini home, we knocked out several TV shows and uh, series. And I would venture to say that, that for me, and, and probably for you, that, that we'd start this series, and we know it's like 10 episodes, and we always would anticipate and always couldn't wait to get to that last episode, right? We want, to, we want to get through this thing quickly. And some of us, you know, we're committed and we knocked out a whole 10 episodes like in a weekend, right? Who wants to confess that sin right now? Go ahead and raise your hand with me. Go ahead, raise it high. Don't be ashamed. All right, yeah, yeah we all did that. And, and, and for me, I got so, I, I, I so wanted to know how this story was going to end that sometimes I'll read through the summaries of the episodes ahead, right? Who else is with me on that to find out what's going to happen, right? And my wife is like the episode police. Don't do that. You can't do that. You know, that's not allowed. But I still do it anyway. So, and we also understand that why there's a lot of hype around that last episode, that uh, a lot of times it doesn't fulfill its hype, right? It leaves us wanting. Sometimes it hits the mark. But a lot of time it misses the mark. Well, we're finishing up the book of Exodus. We are looking at the final episode of the book of Exodus today, and it hits it and knocks it out of the park. This is what we would call back in the day, this is a home run, right? These last chapters as we look at the book of Exodus. And I want you to just, 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 just come to that. As we are studying these last five chapters, these are some of the most amazing events that happened in the history of of the world. We are going to see the transcendent God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who spoke and you and I came into existence. This world came into existence. We're going to see this God transcend, come down to our level and dwell with his people. This is an incredible last scene, last episode. If we were back there in the nation of Israel when this scene happened in living color, we would be absolutely amazed and stunned at what we just saw, what we just experienced. And so for us as a crossing, some thousands of years later, as we, as we look in, through these chapters and we do this, this overview, as we get down a little bit on the ground uh, war level, let us enjoy ending our journey together. Let, uh, ending our Exodus journey together. And then when we walk out those doors, let us live out the greater tabernacle experience that we have as Christians in Jesus Christ than the nation Israel did on that day when God's presence came down. Our experience is greater because we are in the presence of the Lord that has been given access to us by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so if you're visiting with us, um, we'll welcome you to the uh, end of this journey. Now, we are looking again at chapters 35 and 40, and, and as you've been journeying with us, we understand that Exodus 35 through 40 is basically the same exact uh, a repeat of what happened in Exodus chapters 25 through 31. Those, these, these chapters together tell us and give us the instructions on how to build the tabernacle, God's dwelling place. And if you were with us, you remember that Matt did a great job. He gave us seven pictures, kind of at a 30,000 foot air view war, about how God's presence matters. But we also understand that 
at th- uh, chapter uh, 31, something happened. Moses came down the hill, and what was going on? Israel was worshiping the golden calf. They were caught in idolatry, so the tabernacle got put on pause. And then by God's grace, he renewed the covenant as we looked at in, in, in 34, and now we're back on task of building God's tabernacle, his place where he will dwell with his people. And today we're going to get a little bit more at a, at a more of a ground war level on how that really affects the community of Israel and us. And again, since we're covering so many chapters, let me just go ahead and give you the outline right now as we walk through this. This will help you guide you and me through these last five chapters. First, we're going to look at the community of the tabernacle. Then we're going to look at the furnishings of the tabernacle. And then lastly, we're going to look at the God of the tabernacle. All right, so let's continue to dive right in. First, we see the community of the tabernacle. Exodus 35 through chapter 36 through 7. This is the general category on these, chap- on these verses. Look at verse 1 of chapter 35. Moses assembled all the congregation of people of Israel and said to them, These are the things that the Lord has commanded you to do. Six days work and shall be done, but on the seventh day you shall have a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work it shall be put to death. You shall kindle no fire in all your dwelling places on the Sabbath day. Now again, we've been journeying together through the book of Exodus. You understand that this command from the Sabbath is not new. This is one of the first commands that God gave as the people of Israel were leaving, exodusing of Egypt. You see it in Exodus 16. We looked at it in Exodus 20 over the Ten Commandments, where it's, I believe it's the fourth command. We looked at now here at Exodus 35. It is the Sabbath. What's so important about the Sabbath is this is a day that's holy to the Lord. It says you work six days, but on the seventh day you stop work to focus your time, your talent, your treasure, your heart, your mind, your soul on the Lord and worshiping Him. And so Moses is reorienting their, their, um, their, 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 their souls, their mind, their hearts on the Lord, on keeping the Sabbath, on how important it is. And what this does is it actually shows us the nation's Israel's faith and repentance of what took place from the golden calf. They, they were truly repentant on what they did. And here this says they want to obey this command. The golden calf was an utter debacle, as we know. Moses was up in the mountain with Joshua, and they decided to worship God on their own terms, not in the way in which the Lord told them to worship. And here we see their repentance. They want to obey and follow the command. They want to worship the Lord correctly, and this is where Moses starts out. He reminds them of the Sabbath. And again, one of the reasons why I think he does remind them of the Sabbath is, again, they're about to build the temple. They're about to construct God's house. And it would be very easy for them, and even for you and me, if we were back there, be like, hey, let's, we, don't, we can maybe fudge a little bit on the Sabbath. Maybe we can, we can work seven days and not six days. Why? Because we're doing the Lord's work. He'll understand, right? And, and, and by adding that seventh day of work, we can actually get the temple built quicker, and that means the Lord will be with us sooner. So that will be good, right? And, the, and Moses and the Lord kind of take that thought and knock it and say, no, we're going we're gonna to shut that down right now. No, you work six days, but on the seventh day, that's for me, and that's where you worship me. And what's interesting about this is even to this day, the modern Orthodox Jew observes the Sabbath in this manner. 
They don't kindle any fire in their dwelling place or in their home, such as turning on an oven or a stove to cook. That would be going against this, this, this uh, command of the Lord. We had friends that, that lived in Jerusalem, Andrew and Kate, and they were in this apartment complex. And on Saturday, which is the Sabbath for, for the Jews, is that, that their neighbors would open up their door and listen for Kate and Andrew to, to get up. And once they heard them getting up, they would go and knock on their door to have them come over to their house to turn on their stoves for them. And then, and then when they were done cooking, they went over and had them come and turn them off. And even in my studies this week, even more, um, older Jewish neighborhoods, you can't even drive a car through those neighborhoods because of the, the sparks in the engine. They would say that this is breaking the commandment of keeping the Sabbath. If you drove a car on the Sabbath, in particular through their neighborhoods, if you did this, they would pick up stones and stone the car because you're breaking the Sabbath. So those are just some interesting facts on how seriously they take the Sabbath but this command for us, keeping the Sabbath, and it really sets the tone for the rest of the chapters on how to worship. So let me ha- highlight again how this community of the people of the tabernacle worshiped. They worshiped in verses 35 through 36. We see they worship with their time, their talents, and their treasures. So let's really look through these things real quickly. First, they worship by giving their time. Time, this would be a massive project for the nation of Israel to build the tabernacle. So people had to give up time in their day to go and build the, and construct the tabernacle. This would be a very detailed and very time-consuming work. But the people understood that they were doing the Lord's work, so they, they gladly gave up their time. And they worshiped by giving up their time. And time for you and me is just as precious as it was for them. It is a precious commodity we have, but it's also fixed. We all have the same amount of time. we got 24 hours in a day to work. And we want to use our time just like they did. We want to use our time, part of that day, to worship the Lord. In fact, all of our day, everything we do during that time should be worshiping the Lord, right? Because the Scripture says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, you do the glory of God. And this is what the nation of Israel did. They worshiped the Lord by giving their time. They had time in their schedule to go and and help with the mission of God and build the kingdom of God by constructing this tabernacle. One of the the things that I I look for when I want to disciple young men, and in particular leaders, is I have this acronym that I'll put on the Man School uh, podcast coming up here called, I'm looking for guys who are fat C's. F-A-T-C. I'm looking for guys who are faithful, available, teachable, and committed. And time isn't part of that. Those guys that are available. I'm looking for men who have, in their day, they're making time for the Lord. They're available to go and do the work of the Lord. They're, they're looking at their day, and they are, are, are purposeful by scheduling in their day, being available to be used by God, however that may look availability. Because again, time is precious. And the problem isn't time itself. It's we all have the same amount of time. It's how we spend our time. It's how we allocate our time. So the question for you and me this morning that we receive from the nation as Israel is how do you allocate your time? Do you pack it with so much stuff that you don't have time for the Lord? Or do you purposely, the first thing that you do is in your day, you're like, hey, how am I going to use my time this day or this week to worship the Lord? 
How am I going to be intentional about spending my time? Because Ephesians 5 says, redeem the time for what? The days are evil. So my prayer for you and for me as I, as I look at this and I see how Israel worshiped the Lord by giving their time, that we would give our time because there's nothing better than we can do is give our time to help build the kingdom of God. And when I say build the kingdom of God and use your time, I'm talking about you guys using your time. I'm talking about me using my time in our circles of influence, in the everyday rhythms of our lives where we live, work, and play. So we see that they worship by giving their time. Second, we see uh, in chapters 35 and forward, they worship by giving their treasures. Look at Exodus 35, really for the 4 through 9 and throughout this. I'm just going to give a summary because it's incredible uh, how, how the Lord covers this. But it says, The Lord commanded them to give from a generous heart, and therefore they gave all kinds of stuff. And the things that they gave were the things that they plundered when they left Egypt, as you guys recall. When, 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 when Pharaoh let them go out, the people of Egypt uh, were giving up their stuff to the nation of Israel as they were leaving out, as an offering. So this is the stuff, that the, the gold, the silver, uh, all the bling that they had, right? The rings, the bracelets, the necklaces. They gave all that to uh, this project. They gave also things like yarns and animal skins and, and goat hairs and oils for lamps and spices, etc. I mean, nothing was held back. Everything was needed to build this tabernacle. And we see their motivations over and over again. We see this in Exodus 35, 5, and verse 21, and verse 22, and verse 26. And in Exodus 36, 1, it says this, they gave from a generous heart. As their souls were stirred within them, they gave. Now this giving from the heart was different from the tithe. This, is a, this isn't their tithe. This isn't their general offering. This is something above and beyond their tithe. The tithe was commanded roughly back then to give a certain portion allocated to the temple. This is not what this is talking about. This is what they're, the, the offering the Lord commanded here is what's called a free will offering. This is something that the people just desire to give by their free will. They said, hey, the Lord's been gracious to us, therefore we're going to be gracious. We can see this in Exodus 35, 29 and Exodus 36, 3. This is what's called a free will offering. They gave out of the abundance of their heart because of the generosity and the grace that they experienced through the Lord. So they gave. They didn't hold anything back. And what's crazy about this, if you looked at Exodus 38, verses 24 through 30, Moses kind of sums up all the material that was used to build the tabernacle. And one guy kind of kind of added it all up in our modern day currency. Do you, know how, do you know how much they gave the nation of Israel? It, it totaled up to build this tabernacle $10 million. They gave $10 million back then to build this tabernacle. When I read that, the first thing I thought was like, that is an expensive tent, man, right? <laughs> My second thought is like, honey, I need a new hunting tent. So here we go. I mean, it's crazy. They just gave generously to the point where the Lord said, stop giving. We got enough. You guys have been so generous. Stop giving. We don't need any more stuff. It's an incredible testimony to the nation of Israel and how they worship through their giving. And again, the main point that I want to highlight is that they gave from generous hearts. They've experienced the grace of God in their life in chapters 32 through 34, and now that is what's motivating them to worship the Lord by giving of their treasures. And if this was the nation of Israel in the Old Covenant, how much more should our hearts 
How much more should this describe us of us living in the new covenant? Because we have a clearer and a greater understanding of the grace of God in your life, in my life, and what that accomplished. That God would send His Son, His only Son, to come down from heaven, to descend from heaven, to walk the perfect life in our place, a life that we were called to live but couldn't because of our sin. That He died on the cross, a life that, that we should have made payment. It should have been us up there on the cross making atonement for our sin, but He did it. He was buried for three days and rose again. We have so much a clearer picture of the grace of God. How much more should it propel us to give? Paul puts it this way, responding to the gospel in 2 Corinthians 9, 6. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give, here it is, as he or she has decided in their hearts. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I love how one puts it, generous giving only comes from the heart that has been moved by God's grace. By God's grace. Again, Israel experienced God's grace through redemption and that propelled them to give. Have you experienced the grace of God in your life? Have you experienced the love, the mercy, the grace of God, the abundance that God has blessed you with? That should get down into your soul, and then you should propel you and me to be generous. This was taught to me by some of my mentors real early, real early on. Aaron, a, uh, a guy that understands and knows the gospel gives generously. And this is a quote by Martin Luther that they, they shared with me many years ago that said this. Martin Luther said, there are three conversions that are required. The conversion of the heart, the conversion of the mind, and the conversion of the pocketbook. Israel was generous that again God said stop it. May we be a people that worship the Lord through our generosity to his church and to one another. Finally, third, we see worship is given by their talents, by their talents. They worship through giving their time, their treasures, but also their talents. And this is, this is so cool. Everyone got to participate in building the tabernacle. Men, women, children, they needed leaders. Everyone got to participate. We are now introduced again to the community and what they did. They used their skills, their talents that were given to them by the Lord, empowered by the Spirit to build His dwelling place. Exodus 35.10 says, Let every skillful craftsman among you come out and make all that the Lord has commanded. To the men, to the women, he said in Exodus 35 and others, Let every skillful woman spun with their hands. Then we needed leaders in Exodus 35 and Exodus 36. We see that God gives two men these, this job as being construction managers over this building of the tabernacle. It says in verse 31, it says, The Lord called them by name, Bezel, the son of Uriah, and Hur, the tribe of Judah, and he has been filled with the Spirit of God. The other guy was Aholiab. Uh, uh, he was the other guy. And we see that in Exodus 31, but also here in 35, that they were filled with the Spirit. And what's crazy about this, this is really the first time that we see the Holy Spirit come on the scene since really Genesis in creation. The Holy Spirit was with God in creation as He hovered the earth as it was not formed and void. And then the Holy Spirit is kind of in the background in the Old Testament until right now. Until right now, He comes to the forefront. And it says that, that the Holy Spirit filled these two men, empowered them. We experience that same thing today and even a greater level. The Lord just doesn't handpick it like he did in the Old Testament to say, I'm going to put my spirit on this person, on this person, on this person. No, in the new covenant, everyone who is in Christ receives the Holy Spirit, receives his power. 
receives his direction, receives his illumination on the scriptures. It's an incredible gift where the Lord guides, he provides. You can, just, you can probably just see it like, like the tabernacle is constructed. And again, the Lord used everyone in the community to build this tabernacle. You can see the moms and the dads walking their sons by the tabernacle because the tabernacle would have been in the very middle of the nation of Israel that's around them. And you can see the moms and the dads saying, hey, look, oh, you, you, see, you see that covering of the tabernacle? Yeah, we, we, we gave our, 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 our gifts to them. And we actually, I, I actually helped, you know, knit that together. You, you see how the, the, the form of those rings and, and you see the, the altars that we built? We, we, I made that with my own hands. They participated by using their gifts and talents to build the tabernacle. And how much more, again, shall we use our gifts and talents that the Lord has given us to build His kingdom? You see, when we're all born, we're all born with gifts. And then when we're born again, when we come to faith in Jesus, sometimes he gives us new gifts, but usually what he does is he takes those gifts that he's already given us and he, and he hones them in for us to use to build the kingdom of God, empowered by his spirit, strengthened by his spirit to propel his mission forward. So if you're a Christian in here and you call the Crossing Church your home, Every one of us in here should be using the gifts and the talents and the abilities that the Lord has given us, empowered by the Spirit, to build His kingdom through the crossing church to the world around us, to the city of Fort Collins and Loveland and Johnstown and Windsor and Wellington, to your circles of influence. We should be using our time, our talent, and our treasures to build. Yesterday afternoon, I came in about 3 o'clock to finish up my study and uh, Sam and Rich were in here. They're, they're building sound panels for our sanctuary. And I thought to myself, whoop, there it is, right? There are these two guys getting after it, using their gifts and talents to help build in the sanctuary. We're going to go back to one gathering in May. And we're going to need everyone in here to contribute, to use their gifts and their talents that the Lord has given you to, to, to be and come apart and, and use them at the crossing. We're going to need more musicians to get here. We've lost a couple musicians as they moved away. We need musicians to come in and not just serve once every three months, but to serve maybe two, three times a month until we gain more musicians. Children's workers, that's our biggest volunteer ministry. I, before COVID hit, we had 60 plus volunteers. We're going to need to, again, refuel, uh, restock our, our volunteer ministry. That's many of you in here. We need people that are the creative arts to, to help with their, creating our, our, our sermon banners, our podcasts, uh, marketing. People have a passion for, for mercy ministry in here. We're going to need you to take the lead and stir up that in our hearts to go and serve those who are less fortunate. We need everyone in here to be a vital member of life groups that we can encourage one another and walk through the one another's of scripture. We need one another. We need to use our talents to again build up the kingdom of God. And when we do that, we are worshiping. So that's the first thing. We see we're looking at the community of the tabernacle and see how they use their time and their talents and their treasures to build it. Secondly, we see the furnishings of the tabernacle. And this stuff is so good. I mean, we could spend weeks upon weeks upon months just unpacking the significance of looking at each and every one of these furnishings of the tabernacle. We see that this happens in verses 36, 8 through chapter 39. And here's the deal. If you have a passion, if you're a creative person, if, if you're an artist, if you graduated from CSU or some other uh, 
um, other college with a construction management degree. These chapters are like the Sports Illustrated chapters for you, right? I mean, this is incredible. The beauty, the details, the, the materials, the craftsmanship of building this. This would leave you guys speechless. You could, you could spend all, you know, years just going through this tabernacle and be like, dude, how do they do that? Man, that's beautiful. Did you see how? It, this is awesome. So just just go back and, and, and read the details line by line and verse by verse. And let that fuel your passion. But let me walk through each piece of the tabernacle quickly. I sent out a video on Realm, which is our kind of our church network on how we communicate. How many of you guys looked at that video and watched those videos? If you didn't, I would encourage you guys to do that. Because I was going to show it here because it just shows you kind of a 3D video you know, kind of their old drones back in the day that they used to, to show you what, uh, what, it, what it looked like, right? That was pretty funny. Come on, man. Hold on. All right. So let's go through this. Let's walk through this. First, the wall, the gate. This is not going to be in order. Again, this is from Exodus 37 through 39. But the wall, the gate, this is the thing that surrounded uh, the tabernacle. It was, it was 150 feet by 75 feet. Think of a, like half of a football field. That's how big this thing was. It was about half of a football field length and width, right? And you had this wall that surrounded the tabernacle. And this kept the sin outside. The, the symbol was, was God was in his house, in his dwelling place. This was what was holy, and everything outside, outside that wall was sinful. That's what the wall was. And there's only one door to get into the tabernacle, and it was on the east side. Door, gate, it was made out of cloth, so I don't know what you would call it, but one entrance point to get in. And this points us to Jesus, that Jesus is the only door. He is the only way, the only truth in the life. No one comes to the Father but through Him. And John 10 says that I am the door, Jesus says. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. So we see Jesus is the door. And then once you walk through that gate, the first thing that you, you, you encounter is the altar of burnt offerings. It's this massive kind of pit structure that is where they did the sacrifices inside this altar. This is where it points us that Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice for us. John 1.29 says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Hebrews 9.26 says this, that Jesus appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So this altar of burnt offering points us to Jesus, the ultimate sacrifice. <clears throat> and then we have the bronze basin. The next thing that you would encounter would be this, this thing about the size of maybe this little pulpit back in Moses' day, and it was filled with water. The bronze basins, also known as a, a, a laver. And, and this was where the priests, after they would do the sacrifices, they would go to this and wash their hands off and clean themselves up before they would go into the holy place. And one cool little fact about the laver, or this bronze basin, is that there's no precise details on how to build it, measurement-wise. Everything else has precise details and what to use, etc. This was kind of a general thing. So when Solomon built it, when he built it in the temple, he made this massive, massive bronze basin. Uh, <clears throat> again, the one in Moses' day would probably be at the size of this pulpit. The one in Solomon's day, he named it in 1 Kings 7.23, they named it the Sea of Cast Metal. This thing was huge and would probably hold, some guesstimate, about 10,000 gallons of water. So he just made this big thing. So for you history Bible buffs, that's, that's for you, all right? But again, this, this idea, this is where the, 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 the priests would wash and cleanse their hands, and Jesus is the one, his blood 
provides the purification of our sin, Hebrews says. And the next thing you do then, that is like in the courtyard. And then now you're going to enter into the holy place. And as soon as you, there's one veil that you enter. So you enter in this veil, and now you're in the holy place. This is confined space where there's no natural light or anything. And the first thing you would see onto the right or to the north would be the table of showbread. And on the table of showbread would be like 12 like round circular um, uh, loaves of bread, also known as the bread of the presence. And again, this points us to Jesus, Jesus as the bread of life. John 6, 35 says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger again. And so that's to the right as you enter the veil. And as you look to the left, you would have this. You would have the golden lampstand. The golden lampstand, as we talked about, when Matt talked about the tabernacle, he talked about how it declares God's creativity and that, that he's this world of creation. And the golden lampstand would um, symbolize a tree of life, but also would light up the room because, again, there was no natural light in this part of the holy place. And so it would light up the room so the priest could see what was going on. Of course, this points us to Jesus as what? The light of the world. John 1.14, Jesus was the light of men. John 8.12, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness. And then, and that's, on the, that's on the left, and, that, and then you had the showbread on the right. But then right in front of what was called the Holy of Holies, where the very presence of God dwelt, there was another veil. And then right in front of that was the altar of incense. Incense. And that would burn 24 hours a day. Now, this is starting to highlight God's kingship, not only as God's presence, but also God as a king. Because there would be all kinds of crazy smells from the sacrifices and just back living in an agrarian um, uh, lifestyle back then. And so this, this, this incense would, would burn and it would smell and make everything smell good. But not only that, this also represents intercessory prayer. And we know that Jesus is our intercessor. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, There is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. So that's in the holy place. But then, again, you have that other veil right in front of the, the table of incense. And then you would walk through that. This is the one veil. And then that, you would walk through that, and that's what was called the holy of holies. And that veil that you would walk through, as we know in the New Testament, represented Christ's flesh. And this is where God's presence would dwell on the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was there, and this is where the presence of God dwelt. And inside the Ark of the Covenant in Moses' day, there would be three items. Does anyone know what those three items were? You'd have the second, uh, second fashioning or the second pair of the Ten Commandments. You'd have Aaron's rod that budded, and you'd have a jar of manna. That would be inside there. That would change later on when, when Solomon built the temple. The only thing left in there, it seems, is the Ten Commandments. But then you have this thing that covered the ark called the mercy seat. The mercy seat. And this is where God would meet with his people. And this is the place that one time a year that the, the high priest would purify himself, go in there and make atonement for the sins by putting blood, sprinkling blood on the altar, on the mercy seat. And what this again describes, this points us to as Jesus is our high priest. And it was his blood that was sprinkled away to take away the sin of the world. Hebrews 10, 19 says this. We can enter in the holy place now by the blood of Jesus that opened the way for us through the curtain of his flesh. So you see how important the tabernacle was? It was important back then, but again, the tabernacle was preparing us for Jesus. 
Jesus is the ultimate and the perfect tabernacle and the high priest that leader. Luke 24 says, beginning with Moses, he interpreted all things in Scripture concerning himself. Everything in the Old Testament is pointing us to Jesus. The tabernacle is pointing us to Jesus, who is the greater tabernacle. By the time we get to John 1, it says, And the Word became flesh, Jesus became flesh, and dwelt or tabernacled among us. And as He did that, we beheld the glory of God. And when we see in the glory of God, how is the glory of God expressed? It is expressed like this. It says, And He was full of grace and truth. So if we want to behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus, we walk in grace and truth. Jesus is the true and perfect tabernacle. These were the furnishings of the tabernacle. Exodus 39, we get the high priestly garments that's also created. And that takes us to, again, the final, the God of the tabernacle. Exodus 40. Again, Exodus 39 and Exodus 40, we see this repeated phrase over and over and over and over again. The repeated phrase is this, as the Lord command. They did the things as the Lord command, as the Lord command, as the Lord command, as the Lord command, as the Lord command. Some, some uh, I think almost 20 plus times it says this in these two chapters. Why? Because it's referring back and having them in mind in Exodus 32 through 34, they didn't do as the Lord command. But now they are obeying the Lord. They are obeying His commands. And they're just driving this point home. As the Lord commanded, as the Lord commanded, as the Lord commanded. And again, it just shows Israel's humility. It shows their true repentance. It shows their desire to be faithful to the covenant that they agreed to with the Lord. Look at Exodus 40, verse 32. And when they went into the tent of meetings, when they approached the altar, they washed. And as the Lord commanded them, commanded Moses. And he erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar and set up the screen of the gate of the court. So Moses finished the work. So they did everything as the Lord command. And Moses and the people finished the work. And it was a beautiful tabernacle, but the tabernacle was barren. There was still no presence there. And you can, you can see the nation of Israel once they, they, they made their final touches on that. Moses made his final touches. You could see that all the nation, two to three million people, were, were sitting on edge with the question is, is the Lord going to come? Is the Lord going to come? Is, is He going to fill this place? We, we did everything as He commanded. Is He, is he going to be faithful to come and dwell with his, with his people again? Now look at Exodus 40, verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meetings, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. He came. He was faithful. What a scene. What relief the people of Israel must have had. A great sight. You can hear, you can almost hear two to three million people when they saw that cloud come down. A, 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 a corporate like sigh, relief, but then also joy, excitement, worship. God. In Exodus 33, it was disastrous news that God would not go forward with his people into the promised land because of their sin. It was disastrous news. You guys remember that when we walked through that? It was disastrous news. But here it's delightful news. Here it's delightful news because they see the very presence of God come down 
onto the tabernacle. And it just builds excitement. But something's, something's different. Something's different about this. Yes, the, the presence of God came and dwelled, and the, the pillar of cloud is not different, and that by night it will be the pillar of fire, but something's different, especially for Moses. The presence of God came back, but the access to God changed. Remember, Moses would have the access to God. He'd be able to go and, and fellowship with him face to face and talk to God as a friend. You guys remember that when we talked about that in Exodus 33? Got to see all the way back to the burning bush and these other instances where, where God went up to mount, the mountain to have fellowship with God. But we see here in Exodus 40:35 that Moses could not enter the tabernacle. Something changed. God's presence with us as people, but the access was different. And this is really God's grace, because now that God's holiness really dwelt in this tabernacle, he could not let Moses or anyone else in, or else they would die because of his glory. So again, this is God's goodness. And this is where the book of Exodus ends. God indeed comes and dwells with his people. But again, the access has been cut off, so to speak. But there's a sequel. There's a sequel to the book of Exodus. You know what the sequel is to the book of Exodus is? It's the book of Leviticus. So just turn your page, turn your Bibles one page. And you see the Lord start to answer the question is like, how are we going to get access back to myself? How am I going to give access to the people? Look at Leviticus chapter 1, verse 1. It says, the Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. Notice, he didn't call him in, he spoke from. And then in verse 2, he starts out with the sacrifices. And from verse 2 to Numbers 10.10, the Lord lays out what the life looks like to follow him. And in particular, in their sacrificial system, the Lord commands many things in these verses. But the chief theme the Lord commands is about how to make atonement for sin in Leviticus and Numbers. How, how are the people going to not just be, have the presence of God around them, but, but how are they going to have access to the God? This is what Leviticus starts to answer. And again, these episodes in Leviticus and Numbers is setting us up for the, the final episode, the final chapter in the 66 books of the story of redemption. Moses finished the tabernacle. The presence of God was with them and dwelt, but they didn't have access but this points us to Jesus. Jesus on the cross said what? It is finished. He breathed up his last breath. He died on the cross. And then what happened? The veil to the holy of holies, the very presence of God was torn from the top to the bottom. Jesus' death and then his resurrection not only gives us the presence of God, but it also gives us what? Access to him. And not just access to him as a, as a nation, but each and every one of us that repent and trust in Christ individually have access to the presence of God. Not just Moses, not just the high priest, but every single individual person now has a personal access to God the Father through the Son. Atonement has been made your sin, my sin has been dealt with. Therefore, not only do we get the presence of God, but we get access with God, a personal relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. 
This is an incredible event. We open Exodus with this. Exodus is about redemption. It's about deliverance. Every single person in here has a creation story. Every single person in here has been born. But the question is, do you have an Exodus story? Do you have a redemption story? Do you have the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world story? Do you have a gospel story? If not, today is the day of salvation for you to repent of your sin and trust in the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, Jesus Christ. And for those of us that have, our response is worship. Using our times, our talents, and our treasures to further the kingdom of God in our circles of influence and where we live, work, and play. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the book of Exodus. Thank you for just everything that is in the book of Exodus that we have learned, that we have re- remembered, have been reminded of, that w- how we have grown over this last year by looking at your word, empowered by your spirit, and living in gospel community. But Lord, there's more life to live. There's, there's more Exodus stories that need to be told, and you use us as your ambassadors to go and be pro- proclaimers of the gospel, ambassadors of the gospel. Uh, we, we have the very presence of God that leads, guides, and directs us in your Holy Spirit. We have the very words of God that informs us and gives us the, the way to you. And Lord, we have the very community of God to encourage one another day by day. So Lord, may we be a people. May the crossing be a people be a light in a dark world as we proclaim the good news of the gospel of Christ. In your name we pray, amen.